And thanks for joining us now on KVCR for KVC Arts, Arts and Entertainment, as well as the people and places providing it. I'm David Fleming. On this edition of the program, I'm joined by Steve Rushingwind and Michael Mucklow. Thank you both for joining me. Thank Thanks you for, for having us. Yes. Appreciate it so much. Uh, now, this will have crossover with FNX, so Steve, if you would, please talk about your native heritage, your tribal affiliation. Sure. Yeah, I'm Kuiya, California native Indian from San Diego. The Agua Caliente is our cousin tribe, and I do a lot of things for that tribe. I actually played in the Dinner of the Canyons one year, which was absolutely amazing. And also the other uh, affiliation I am is Opita native, which is out in Phoenix. And also Tucson too, but mainly Phoenix. We go way, way, way back. Okay. Uh, my grandfather was Opita, my dad's side. Gotcha. All right, well, Michael Mucklow joined Steve on several discs starting in 2010. The two of you are about to record a new one. And so what was the first piece that you guys did together? And was it something that ended up on one of the discs? I mean, how did this whole thing start with the two of you? Primarily, it started through a mutual friend who at the time had a recording studio at his house. And in 2006, I recorded my first solo album. And Steve happened to live across the way from our friend John. And at some point, Steve went over and recorded his first solo album at John's home studio. And in that whole process, John thought that his flute playing and my guitar playing would be a match for each other. Stephen gave me a call. We spoke on the phone for a bit, and it was like, yeah, this feels right. I mean, we didn't actually know each other, had never met. Oh, no, okay. So we talked, and the conclusion was, I'll send Stephen a bunch of songs. I'll just work on something and send it to him, see what he thinks. If there's anything there, we'll move forward. If there's not, we'll call it a day and go our separate ways, you know? So I sent him actually everything that's on the first album, Ancient Elements, and he liked it, and it became the album. I'd like to add something. The first song that I got from him, which was called Into the Canyon, that was the very first song. And I remember, because me and Mike, we both kind of like talked about that, like, well, let's see for a fit, you know, because we didn't know we were going to be a fit at all. So when I first got into the canyon, I found the flute that fit it, played the flute, and it was perfect instantly. I mean, the song that I composed to it was actually the one that I actually recorded instantly. It was just really amazing. And I was so excited and that I wrote back to Mike and said, Mike, this is going to work. This is definitely going to work. So was it just basically a series of chords or was it a complete song? Because there had to have been room for Steve to play over or to add his part. So you almost had to send him something Mm -hmm. incomplete or, here, fill in your space. They were probably complete songs, like, arranged. Primarily, I've been like a solo guitarist, just instrumental music. So I'm always thinking, how does the audience hear just the guitar? And working with Steven, it was, I need to make room for the flute. So the guitar needs to lay back, it needs to be more mellow, it shouldn't stand out. Because I really wanted the flute to stand out. That was important to me. To me, the flute is a healing instrument just like the guitar can be. And so I wanted that to have priority everything. So I just kind of, what I sent to Stephen was guitar that wasn't going to interfere with the flute. Just really be like just a bass for him to put a flute part down to. As we look at these four discs, 
all of these have composition credits going to both of you, and then recording, mixing, and arranging credits all going to Michael. Michael, then after recording, are you then working out the layering and levels of all the textures, maybe deciding, okay, here's where I start adding some synthesizer. Steve is on the native flutes, but you're not only on six-string guitar, but then you've also got, I know, some synthesizer and, and some other elements. So is that when you're deciding, oh, this could have a drone going into it? Or mm -hmm. I guess I'm looking at the process part on this after the initial duo. Pretty much. I believe that a song will tell you what it wants to be. Mm -hmm. And yeah, after I do the guitar, Steven does the flute. I then turn into the mix engineer slash producer, yeah, <laughs> you know. Right. And it, for me, I've been DIY since I started back in the 70s, so I don't know any different. But I will mix the song, guitar and flute. Sometimes I hear something additional that Steven will hear too. But a lot of times I just start listening to it and going, this might sound good. You know, and if, if I put it in there and it's like, yeah, it doesn't sound so good, it's like, okay, I didn't. That's another track, you can just yeah. pot it down. Yeah, I can mix cool. it however I want to. <laughs> So yeah, it just after the primary instruments are down, it's like, okay, what does each one of these songs really want to be? My priority is what should it be for the listener? Not what should it be for the artist, right. it's what should it be for the listener. So I try to really stay in tune with that and hopefully that's what comes across in the recordings. Beautiful. I'd like to think that some of these are completely, or at least started completely freeform, while others certainly had to have been a product of a melody that one of you brought in. I'd like to hear about how some of these came together, and if there's any typical fashion in how they come together. Does it always start with Michael, then? Yeah, yeah Michael sent me like a sketch, maybe. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't jive right away for me. But for whatever weird reason, when we and Michael get together in the okay. studio, it's flawless. I mean, a lot of times it's one take. I mean, I mean, oh, really, nice. seriously, okay. we've had a lot of one takers. It's kind of like magic. It really is. Example, Ayushne, which is, means okay. I love you in Navajo. When we did this one, Mike sent that to me. When I got it, I was having a hard time with it at first. This was off a bridge. Okay, here we go, yeah. And when I got to the recording studio, me and Michael were sitting there, I just picked up the flute and I kind of like just started playing the music. You know, sometimes he'll play it like one time, I just hear it, and then I go, okay, I'll start over again. Okay. And then I start playing. And it just came out. I closed my eyes and I played that song. And that song took me to a different realm, basically. And matter of fact, Michael even goes, God, where did you go? You know, it was kind of, it was really interesting. And it actually changed my style of playing. That was a pivotal point in my life, a bridge, because I had just went through a breakup and it kind of like took me in a different level. But that's the way most of our songs are. A lot of times I just sit there and I start playing and it just naturally comes okay. out of me. Not so like, you know, your ad lib lines are well rehearsed, kind of right, like, right, you right. know, this was actually just really on the It truly on, was. It was okay. an ad lib. But there's like. some songs that me and Michael have done in the past that were kind of like more orchestrated. We would talk about it. Okay. 
And we would sit there and say, well, we know maybe we should do it this way and this way. And I trust Michael completely because I know that when it's all done, it's going to come out really nice no matter what he adds to it. There's one thing me and Michael have always agreed on, which will be coming up on our fifth album. And in that is that I always want Michael to do a solo guitar piece ah. and I do a solo flute piece. For some reason, I just love it when we can give the viewer a rest and listen to the guitar because Michael's done some amazing solo. His career <laughs> as a soloist is just amazing. So for me, it's a must. Every album we've done, there's always been one solo for him. Well, Michael's whatever. influences, if you go to his website, he's citing people like William Ackerman and mm -hmm. Michael Hedges. So Michael, beyond what Steve was just addressing, pick any of the tunes that ended up on those past four discs something that you brought in and how you presented to Steve and then what happened after that. This could be a chordal arrangement on the mm -hmm. guitar or even a synth drone that just really captured you and says, hey, use me. <laughs> well, my first response wants to be all of them, but I would probably go back to the first one into the canyon because, okay. Okay. you know, when you initiate a new musical relationship and something just clicks, and you just know it, not only in your head, but in your heart. You're like, oh my gosh, this is something. We have something here that's beautiful, that's dynamic, you know, and it's like something you don't even want to let go of. Okay. You know, so uh, that would be the one specific song where it was just like, I've got something. I kind of knew it was good on the guitar. Mm -hmm. And when Steve sent it back with the flute, it was like, no, this is really good now. This is, nice. okay. this is cool. The other song that probably stands out for me, even not being Native American myself, mm -hmm. is We Remain, which I believe is the last song on Strong Horse. And I love what Steve did with the vocals on that. And it was important to me, maybe because of the relationship I have with Stephen Rushingwin now, that to make that a point, because the whole series really is more about Native American culture than it mm -hmm. is about white culture. We Remain really is about Native Americans have remained strong through everything. Even from my point of view, I wanted to say, you know, I'm not a part of your culture, but I want you to know that we remain. It's true. Nice. Steve, same thing. We did mention that most of these, if not all of these, start off with Michael sending you something, but are there any of these that started with you coming in with this tune, this trill that leads to something else? Any of these that you brought in that Michael started supplementing, adding the different layers and textures? And well, there's a lot of times when me and Michael are doing something and we'll like layer something else on top, like we'll uh -huh. do like a trill or some kind of a embellishment, I call them. Okay. And yes, that happens. I mean, we'll go, go back and then we'll record a second flute on it, make a little embellishment here and there. But that's basically more like just putting a little icing on the cake, you know. Okay. But that's not the center of what we're doing, but that is what we do, yeah. Were there any of the tunes that ended up on any of these discs, or let's say the second, third, and fourth ones, were any of the songs on these discs originally meant to be on a different disc, but then, hey, I filled the space, <laughs> and you didn't want it to go to the cutting room floor, so it made it to the next one. Some of these have a different feel. Some feel a little bit more produced. Some are a little bit more thinly textured and just a little bit raw. 
So any leftovers that you just couldn't throw it away? Leftovers makes it sound like something. You know know what? That's a good question because wasn't it before we did Strong Horse, we did a song on the album before. That was kind of like a prelude, kind of like giving that little bit of a prelude to Strong Horse because Strong Horse was a totally different feel. That was our last album. Michael, why don't you talk about Strong Horse because that was really your inspiration (laughs) on that one. Yeah, I don't know why, but I kind of wanted to hear the Native American flute with rock music. I'm a huge Neil Young with Crazy Horse fan. Okay. And that's probably my favorite type of rock to do myself as a musician. And we kind of had talked about it, maybe played around with it a little bit, but nothing really came to fruition until Strong Horse coming off of Bridge. I don't recall the title of the song, but it was like, yeah, this kind of takes us into Strong Horse. And Stephen was fully on board with, yeah, let's do Strong Horse. You know, it's strong sounds. And uh, the primary aspect of Strong Horse is reflecting on uh, Native American heroes, Tecumseh, Crazy Horse, so on. And so it was like, well, that just needs to be a strong sound. That really needs to come across with both guitar and flute. Well, there's one thing about that I really enjoyed about Strong Horse is that we had more solo parts for Michael. Oh, yeah. You know, that that was one thing that we had. uh, I was a little bit like, "Uh, I don't know, I don't play solos that well, but honestly, the spirit took over and what I played was just like, oh, wow. You know, I've never played this good as a solo guitarist. Oh, wow. As a lead guitarist. As far as all the albums go, I don't think there's anything on the cutting room floor. Typically the way it works for me when I do an album or an EP is, it's kind of weird. I'll get all the songs in a short amount of time, and then it's like, this is an album. I know this is an album. Nothing gets cut. It's like, here's 12 songs for this one. Here's 14 for this one. Here's 10 for this. It's like, okay, these are all going to be on there. Beautiful. There's one thing about Uh Among the Ancients. Yes. I kind of like wanted to talk a little bit about that. That's our first. I kept the sticker. Yes, that's our first win. And Native, Native American, American Music Award. Yeah. That album was a little different than the rest of them. Me and Michael actually did play Among the Ancients. So what we did is we mm-hmm. actually went into areas mm-hmm. where, like a church or some place where mm-hmm. the Natives were at one time, and we actually played in places where they were populated, and they're long gone. These okay. people are long gone, and they're, they're in the ruins. It was really kind of funny. I'll just say a real quick story about these is that we went to this, it wasn't a national park, but it was a place where we walked mm-hmm. in and Michael went inside and asked, can we play in one of the caves or whatever it was? And they says, well, you have to have a permit and you need to have this and that. And sorry, you can't do it. So me and Michael walked out and I says, okay, Michael, the next place we're going to go to, we're not asking, we're just going to go in and set up and play. And so we did. We went to the next place. We walked in with our equipment, didn't say a word, and we got into this abandoned church that was actually from way, way back. And the Uh natives, that was part of their religious ceremonies. Okay. We kind of snuck in there and we set up our stuff. We started performing. Actually, it was comical because next thing you know, we have a bunch of people standing around watching us play. (laughs) And so we're getting a lot of crowd here. Let's hurry up. So we finished what we wanted to finish. And then by the time the people were coming out, like, you know, what are you doing out here? We hightailed it out of there. (laughs) So it was kind of, we call it the down and dirty. You're listening to KVC Arts on 91.9 KVCR. I'm David Fleming in conversation with Steve Rushingwind and Michael Mucklow working on their fifth CD together, the first one in nine years. More just ahead. 
Back now with KVC Arts. I'm David Fleming in conversation with Steve Rushingwind and longtime musical collaborator Michael Mucklow. We're hearing mainly about the four discs Steve and Michael have worked on together in the past and a bit about the next one as well. But behind us now, some of Michael's solo work. from your website, and this is michaelmucklow.com, M-U-C-K-L-O-W, michaelmucklow.com. Mm-hmm. I want you to explain something which starts off with, it's a bit hard to explain. <laughs> you say, it's like I hear more going on in a solo guitar piece than in a multi-instrument song with singing. Can you elaborate on that? Yeah, one, elaborate on it. It's difficult to explain. Yeah. I think for me... Part of the music I was raised on that I never played but I love was Glenn Miller, Glenn okay. Miller Orchestra. Nice. Okay. My mom loved that music and played it on a regular basis. Even though not being a musician till I was 16, right. I, for some reason it just clicked with me. Even when I compose and play a solo guitar composition, it's like I hear all that other stuff going on that would be in a big band. Oh, okay. Now I can't iterate it necessarily on guitar. And then what I translate that to, and this happened years later, was one of the performances I was doing, a gentleman came up to me afterwards and he said, I really like your music because it allowed me to write my own story while I was listening. Uh, He said, you go see an artist and they have lyrics to the songs. You have to imagine the story that they're telling you, like you're part of it or Mm -hmm. it's your story. He said, with your music, I was able to write my own story. So now I can take that and look at how I mean I hear more going on in a solo guitar piece than I do with full instrumentation and vocals. It's just how it comes across to me inwardly, and hopefully that's how it affects the listener too, that it allows them the space to hum something to it if they feel Mm -hmm. like humming, or they can write their own story to it. Take their own solo. Yeah, and they can can do with it what they want. They hear an orchestra in their own head that they can apply to it. I'm stuck on the a bit hard to explain part because you just explained it really well. <laughs> uh, going from the Glenn Miller Orchestra with, I don't know, there'd be four sax, four, tri- you know, we're talking about a big band here. Yeah. That actually makes a lot of sense now. Now, also, you mentioned that you didn't really even start playing until you were about 16 and not growing up with lessons starting when they were thrust upon you, but you actually wanted to start doing this. I read that your early days were in heavy metal and punk bands, but you were also very much finger style at mm-hmm. this point that you had developed you had developed this style of playing long before even hearing of folks like William Ackerman yeah. and uh, Michael Hedges we mentioned them earlier putting all these together were you the type of guitarist in metal and punk that actually bring finger style elements to it or were you all power chords at that point there's no shame in that Oh, no. I wanted to be a rhythm guitarist. Oh, okay. And Rudolf Schenker of the Scorpions. His brother was one of my favorite guitarists because he's pretty much just a rhythm guitarist. And I loved how good he was. And I just wanted to be a rhythm guitarist. I love just those thick chords on the heavy music. I can't explain it. Well, you could hit it and then pose for a while. Exactly. (laughs) And it's just like, yeah, this just, I don't know. It just kind of like goes through me, you know, and I, and I love it. Yeah. So I didn't bring that into those genres of music when I played that. 
I started on acoustic and I loved it. Got into metal. I saw Black Sabbath on TV way back in the 70s and I was like, that's what oh, I want to do. Aussie. Okay, okay. Yeah, and I got to see him live actually here at the Orange Fairgrounds back in like 75 or 76. Oh, wow. Was it at Swing Auditorium coming yeah, in? Yeah. Oh, one of those. Wow. Yeah, and I was like, this to the stage and I mesmerized, <laughs> of course. But I got back into acoustic music after getting out of metal and punk and kind of started exploring acoustic guitar a bit more found i don't listen to it much anymore but new age sure kind of like acoustic alchemy and i was like oh i love this stuff you know mm-hmm. dual guitars so i kind of went down that road for a while i was in a band in the 90s that was all acoustic and the fingerstyle thing was just there here and there over the years but i never got serious about it and a friend of mine said you need to get serious about this i'm like nobody cares about this and he goes no people would like this stuff you need to start playing oh this. yeah oh my god and so he encouraged me to just start performing and then recording, and that's where it took off, around 2006. So again, michaelmucklow.com, you have quite a few selections there. And mm-hmm. did you start in fingerstyle? I mean, just looking for notes on the neck, or like a lot of us, you <laughs> G, A, E minor. Regarding strictly fingerstyle? Yeah, I mean, how did you, yeah. Just... I had seen a guy perform. He played at the Joshua Tree Playhouse out where okay, I live. Okay. And he was just like, oh my gosh, what's, what's this guy doing, you know, what's this guy doing? He was doing more than I do, you know, he was like slapping on the guitar and pulling okay. the strings. But he was really playing that thing in a different tuning. So I was like, well, what is this? I got to find out about this. And I kind of wanted to do that. I was like, oh, I'm going to become one of those guys. Okay. But just the way it came out of me was just I'm kind of a mellow guy. No, it just not came coming across at all. <laughs> <laughs> I tell people, don't listen to my music while you're driving because you might fall asleep. <laughs> right, 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 right. <laughs> so it just came out of me mellow the way it did. And it's like, you know what? This has got to be okay because this is just me. This is what I enjoy hearing it. I enjoy producing it. So I just let it be what it was. Beautiful. You know, but yeah, it was just seeing somebody. I'm going, even though I had heard Ackerman and Hedges in the past, I heard it right. on a radio station. I'm going, hey, this is kind of nice. I like yeah. this. Yeah. Seeing somebody do it live was just like, wow, that's cool. <laughs> okay. So we were talking about the four albums that the two of you have done together. And now, I mean, you've just really very recently decided to come together for the first new one in nine years, something like that. We actually started a while back. It's been how many years ago? Oh, <laughs> amongst uh, other albums, yeah. yeah well, that's actually, right. when we were done with the four, we did get together. Yeah. I don't remember how many years ago it was. It was eight, probably eight, eight years. years about eight years ago, we okay. decided let's do a fifth album. We'll call it the Fifth Element. Basically, what me and Michael talked about recently was the fact that these four albums are like a box set. This okay. is a complete set. The Fifth Element was just basically want to go from where we ended here and what our life experience has been since then. I mean, because when we first started talking about doing the fifth element, we actually had some sketches, so to speak. And what we did with those is that, you know, this was like eight years ago. And we still have those. I mean, we've been playing with the idea for a while, but you know, a lot of stuff has happened since then. You know, not mentioning COVID. But what happened was that we kind of put it in the back burner. And then recently I called up Michael and said, hey, you know, let's do this fifth album. But what we did is that we were talking about we have some stuff that we've been working on. 
We still want to build on that, but at the same time, I kind of like to go for where we are today as far okay. as emotionally, spiritually, in any way possible that we are right now and build off the ones we were doing eight years ago because we're not the same people we were eight years ago. We've had a lot of tragedies. We've had some happiness going on in our lives. So we're going to take the way we feel today and work on our fifth album this coming fall. Can I ask that no matter what happens with this, that you have at least the binding in blue with white letters? Yes. And you get a collection of music from somebody and it's all written one way, and then you get their newest disc, and it's like New Times Roman versus Comic Sans, or whatever, it just really looks I did that ridiculous. on purpose, um, generally. I appreciate it very, very much. You yeah, should see my shelf. It was something that I had seen, exactly what you mentioned, I was like, yeah. you know, because I do like, my music and do Rushing Wind and Mucklow and maybe do something else and each of them have their own color spine ah. and the lettering's usually the same but it was like this needs to be the same so when people go to pick it off the shelf yeah they know what they're getting oh I want Rushing Wind and Mucklow it's that color blue y yes. you just remember that stuff you yes know? You know what's interesting? <laughs> this is the first time I've ever noticed that. <laughs> I noticed it because I have really, it on my shelf next to the red. I'm serious. Path. This is the first You've time never noticed this? I've never oh. noticed that. Oh, I'm man. sorry. Sorry, Michael. Really? All my hours of labor. <laughs> but now that you brought to my attention, oh, that's really weird. <laughs> I should have had these closer to you during this. It's not quite uniform, but you can tell there aren't any one of these kids is doing his own thing sort of but thing. But you know what? I have to do is, I do have to say though, Strong Horse was the interesting one because me and that Michael, the country have, album. we never oh. had ourselves on the cover. That's right. It's, it's always been, been paintings. Yeah. But what's interesting though, I got to throw this out there, is okay. that when me and my wife Susan got married, we went on our honeymoon. <laughs> and on our honeymoon, I put her to work oh, because okay. she's a professional photographer and she ended up working. Well, this is what we're talking about here. And yeah. so Susan took this photo of the two of you. <laughs> yes. Yep. And it was really interesting because... You were there for the honeymoon? They were at my house for the honeymoon, yes. Okay. So okay. to this day, to this day, my wife reminds me that she worked on her honeymoon. So I have to, I, I promise Thank her, you, Susan. Yes, yes thank you, Susan. Thank you, Susan. And I promise someday we're going to have a proper honeymoon. It's only been eight years later. As long as we're not yeah. using, I'm not using a walker by the end, but okay. <laughs> For this edition of KVC Arts, it's been conversation with Steve Rushingwind and Michael Mucklow talking about a lot of their past collaborative work and touching on the next one. Keep up to date at rushingwind-mucklow.com. That's M-U-C-K-L-O-W. Also at michaelmucklow.com and stephenrushingwindmusic.com. Taking us out of the program now into the canyon from the CD Ancient Elements, the first piece they ever worked on together, and on this version, performed in the KVCR studios.
the Canyon from the CD Ancient Elements from Steve Rushingwind and Michael Mucklow and again the first piece they ever worked on together over nine years ago and this time performed in the KVCR studios. Thanks again to Steve and Michael and here at KVCR thanks to Lillian Vasquez, Rick Dulock, Paulina Garcia and Shireen Awad. Many past KVCRs can be found through iTunes, NPR One. Google Podcasts, and Spotify. And most past shows are at kvcrnews.org slash arts. I'm David Fleming. Thanks especially to you for listening and for your support.